Good morning. Happy Friday, everyone. Welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Larry Kay, and I'm a recovered compulsive reader. Today is Friday, May 3rd, 2019, and today we are reading from the big book, and we are currently on page 24, the second paragraph. It starts the almost certain consequences. We're going to read that one paragraph only. Today's readers, we have Tenzin P on the 12 steps and Marge E on the 12 traditions. And the readers of the text are Pete B, Andrea B, and Lauren N. Let me give you the share ID for yesterday, Thursday, May 2nd, 2019. The 7 a.m. meeting, Eastern Standard Time meeting, is 12,852. That's 12852. And for the 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time meeting yesterday, that's 12,854, 12854. Uh, the newcomer greeter um, we have is Reva P, and the host for the second hour is Leah S. OA Preamble, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors. And then we carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, Each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. So let me now ask for uh, Tenzin P. to read the 12 steps. Good morning, Tenzin. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Tenzin P. calling in from uh, New York City. Here are the steps we took, which are suggested as a program of recovery. Number one, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, 
we tried to carry this message to compulsive eaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you very much. Have a blessed day. Thank you, Tenzin. Okay, Marge E., I think we have 12 traditions, right? Still have 12 traditions. Would you read those? Good morning. morning. Yeah, good morning, Larry. Marge E. from Massachusetts. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends on OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself, and our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. 7. Every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. 8. Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. 9. OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible for those they serve. 10. Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And 12. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thanks for your service, Larry, and I pass. Thank you, Marge. Okay, here's how our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic in the literature that we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. And of course, we're sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. If you'd like to share, press star one to to, uh, unmute your phone. And once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass then press star one to mute your phone again. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speaker should be muted. So today we resume our study of the big book and we are currently on page 24, the second paragraph that starts the almost certain consequences. We're just gonna read that one paragraph only. And I'll now ask uh, private Pete B to begin reading. Hey Pete, good morning. Good morning, Larry. Pete B, compulsive overeater, recovered today by God's grace and mercy. And the delusion that I'm like other people has been smashed. And I will read the uh, chapter, The Almost Certain Consequences That Follow Taken Even a Glass of Beer Do Not Crowd Into the Mind to Deter Us. If These Thoughts Occur, 
They are hazy and readily supplanted with the old threadbare idea that this time we shall handle ourselves like other people. There is a complete failure of the kind of defense that keeps one from putting his hand on a hot stove. So, you know, what this is bringing up for me, you know, I, when, when I think about my experience, you know, it, it's, it's, You know, I I appreciated yesterday at the end of the meeting or in the second hour, Harlan shared about his experience where he burnt himself with a candle. And this is a a very similar, very similar situation. We have we have a natural um, defense to pain. Right. We have we have, you know, something that causes pain. We are going to avoid it. And we are going to try to be in a place of safety and security. And that's what the, the, you know, the baffling part of this disease is, is that regardless of what our experiences are, that mental twist, that draw to the ease and comfort, that draw to something that's going to take me out of myself is so, is so uh, much greater than the, the natural instincts that have been put in me by my creator. Right. Like, you know, there, you know, a lot of people, we, you know, we talk about power in these rooms quite a bit. Right. The, the higher power, the lower power, you know, all of these things. And, you know, I believe that the greatest instinct we have is the instinct of self-preservation. Right. That means that if I'm threatened, if I'm going to if I'm going to be in a situation where I, where I'm where my life is in jeopardy, I am going to do whatever I can to get out of that situation. But the cunning, baffling, and powerful part of this disease, of these substances, is that that strong, the strongest instinct given to me, because it is not so dramatic that, you know, it's going to blow up in my face, I'm going to slowly take every single bite, regardless of the pain that it's caused, regardless of what it's done before, I'm going to slowly take that and bring myself to the, you know, to the death, to death. And I, I always appreciated, you know, like, it's like, it's like committing suicide. Uh, I'm sorry. It's like it's like being kicked to death by a bunny rabbit, you know, slowly but surely. Right. You know, uh, we often hear and hear also that, you know, we, we say, well, if I eat, then I'm going to die. And, you know, that might be the case, but it usually doesn't happen that way. It, re- it rarely happens that way. Right. What happens is I start eating the phenomenon of craving kicks in and I can't stop eating. And the mental obsession follows the next day telling me, well, this time it's going to be different. And I keep on eating. And then 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years goes by. The next thing you know, you have all these complications caused by these substances we put in our body. What, what I have to remember is that I was, always, I was always seeking to relate myself to somebody else, right? I, well, you can eat this then I guess I can eat this. You can't eat that. I guess I can't eat that, right? I had to identify and be really, really clear on the things that I could not eat. And then I had to be willing to go to any lengths to put them down, right? I, 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 it, it's, so, it's so baffling to me. Like I would put down sugar and pick up artificial sweeteners, right? Or I would put down, you know, fatty, fat, fattening foods and I would eat low-fat foods. All the while, always constantly putting in, putting in place the, the phenomena of craving. So I'm grateful that, you know, this program tells me I have, to, I have to identify the things that are harmful to me 
and had to be willing to go to any lengths to stay away from them. And for me, the any lengths were I had to ask the loving and merciful God to remove the obsession, right, and to keep it removed and to be willing to go to any lengths. You know, I always, I always like, to, like to say that there's nothing, absolutely nothing more inconvenient or nothing more expensive than compulsively overeating. It is, the, it is the thing that will always derail me because it presents itself as, well, you know what? It's not Southern Comfort. It's not vodka. It's not cocaine. Right? It's just a donut. Right? I, I, that, that hazy, supplanted image in my mind where, you know, this is not going to do it this time. And, you know, I've, it, 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 is, it is taken pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization to drive me a point that I have to be willing to go to any length for victory. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks so much, Pete. Okay, we're going to open it up to sharing. Let me tell you where we're, where Pete read, if you just uh, fell out of bed. We're on page 24. Pete read the second paragraph only. It starts the almost certain consequences. If you haven't shared in the past day or so, we'd love to hear from you. So who would like to share on what was read? Lisa B. Lisa? Melissa C. Melissa? Dorita P. Dorita? Harlan G. Harlan. Nessa. There's a line up there. Okay, so here's who I have. Um, I have Lisa, Melissa, Dorita, Harlan, and Nessa. And then we'll open it back up. Lisa, why don't you get us started? Good morning to you. Good morning. My name is Lisa B. I am a recovered compulsive overeater in Greenville, South Carolina. And thank you so much for your service. And the person that just shared, um, I really got so much out of that I identify in. And I wanted to talk about that word hazy. Um, Hazy is, is really the key, was so much the key. Some synonyms for hazy would be misty, foggy, cloudy, confused, murky. And like what was just shared, you know, I found for me, and this was what was so discouraging and really hopeless for me, it's possible to live many, many years, decades as an untreated, unrecovered, compulsive overeater. And what kept me in the murky mud of being untreated, compulsive overeater was the haze and the confusion, and it began with the food. You know, it really, really began with the food. And I have to put action steps under my words. But I'm saying I really am desperate to get recovered. I really, really want to experience this state of being um, restored to my mind and body and my spirit. Well, it begins with putting the food down entirely so that that haze can go away. And, you know, I love the word sanity. But what I love even more than being restored to sanity is a synonym of sanity would be stability. Stability. And that's what I wanted my whole life. I felt truly unstable. I did not feel that I had sure footing in this world walking around. And it began with putting the food down so some clarity of mind could come in in reading this big book with my sponsor, my guide, and I love listening to the podcasts on entire abstinence, you know, that, that are so wonderfully available on our website and really listening to recovered fellows of what entire abstinence 
means. And stability came to me as a result of going through the steps and having that spiritual awakening. But, you know, my illness counts on me being confused. That's why this illness of compulsive overeating does not want me to pause when I'm agitated. It wants me just to take a plunge and respond out of an emotion. So even as a recovered person, I must stop and pause. But it began with getting entirely abstinent so I can hear, so I could hear. I didn't know how much confusion and haze was there. I love the clarity. I love the stability that I have today. With that, I pass. Thank you, Lisa. Okay, we have Melissa followed by Dorita. Hey, Melissa, good morning. Hi, Larry. It's Melissa C. Recovered Compulsive Overeater in New York. Thank you so much for your service this morning. Um, Yeah, so like, this is really, really clarifying the powerlessness of this disease because um, certain consequences, like almost certain consequences, they don't crowd into my mind, you know. And yet, um, it makes no sense because I'm like, I'm pretty intelligent. Um, I understand consequences. Like in many other areas of my life, um, you know, I've shared this before, like I commute to work and I know where like all the police hide. You know, there's like a couple of speed traps on the way to work and I didn't even have to get pulled over. I actually can learn from other people's consequences. You know, I saw other people get pulled over and, um, that's enough to inform my decisions. I know enough to slow down, right? And, um, and like, you know, my early years, um, I, had, I had a credit card. Uh, it was like my first experience with a credit card. And it was, um, I ran up a big debt. And I, like, embarrassed. I had to ask my parents to help me. Um, and I paid it out. And that was enough to inform my decisions, like, I, I don't have, thank you, God, I don't have that addiction. Um, I could I could moderate. I could, you know, spend some money and not other times. And, you know, um, I partied too much when I was younger, too, and I got really bad grades at one point, failed out my freshman year, and that was enough to inform my decision-making. I didn't do that anymore, you know. And that I can't apply that at all to where food is concerned. Those experiences and consequences that I've had with food, um, they don't, they're, they're like readily replaced by this other idea that this time I'm going to get away with it. And, and I think it's because, you know, you don't get fall down sloppy drunk from a cookie, you know, and, but I kept relying on consequences to get me to stop. So I kept changing the consequences, like, well, when I'm this weight, then I'll stop, you know, and when I've done this, then I'll stop. And, you know, the the crazy thing is, is that my consequences grew greater and greater and greater, and it still didn't inform my decision. You know, it still didn't get me to to stop because I can't rely on that, you know. Um, and that's what powerlessness is. And that, for me, it's so important that I really am clear about that because then it tells me that I'm going to have to do all the other things that might be inconvenient um, to replace this threadbare idea. And, um, and I'm grateful that, you know, I don't have that today. Um, 
And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Melissa. Okay, we have a uh, lineup, Dorita P, followed by Harlan G and Nessa R. Dorita, good morning. Hi, Larry. Uh, hi, uh, my name is uh, Dorita P. Uh, from Cleveland, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater, and I'm really grateful to be here. It's a privilege and honor to be at a meeting of Overeaters Anonymous. Everybody do not get this opportunity for whatever reason, so I'm really, really grateful I have a seat here. Yeah, it says the almost certain consequences. Um, I, I am going to give a definition of certain, yeah, I, I love the way uh, Bill writes. He he's not cocky. He says almost certain, but for me, it's certain. And the definition of certain is uh, known for sure or established beyond doubt, uh, unquestionable, uh, definite. Um, yeah, I always hear these same consequences um, that followed even taking, you know, one donut or one whatever, um, and it says uh, if these thoughts occur, they are hazy uh, and, and readily supplanted by the old thrift, their idea that this time we should handle ourselves like other people. And after every diet, I would think this time I'm going to handle myself like uh, other people. And I can just remember what stands out to me after I would diet is I, I couldn't um, always look forward. I, I couldn't wait uh, to get a Snickers bar. And I know Harlan always talks about Kit Kat bars. Well, mine was a Snickers bar. And it's funny because I never counted calories, but I always, I knew what how many calories were in the Snickers bar. Um, and that was the only thing I knew. And I don't know why I knew that. I mean, I don't know why I needed to know that because uh, usually I ate more than one and it was more than like a meal, so I don't know what I was trying to figure out. Um, and I just lastly just want to say, um, and it says, uh, there's a complete failure of the kind of defense that keeps one from putting his hand on, uh, on a hot stove. And uh, one of our 10th uh, step uh, promises says that, um, um, so we will be we will seldom be interested in liquor. I'm on the bottom of eighty four. We will seldom be interested in liquor if tempted. Like if I'm t- tempted by that Snickers bar, we recoil from it as from a hot flame. So we do uh, develop this defense uh, from putting our hand on a hot stove. And I'm just really grateful. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you all for being here. Thank you, Dorita. Next up, shortstop, Javi Baez. Hi, Harlan. Javi. Oh, thank you, Larry, for your service. I love Javi. Um, I'm Harlan G., and I'm calling from Toronto, Canada, eh? And I'm very glad to be here. Um, If this is going to sound a little bit like what I shared yesterday on the second meeting, then please forgive me because it's going to be very similar. We are talking about one of the major factors in the killing power of this disease, and it is the mental blank spot. We're going to re-examine this in Chapter 3, but the mental blank spot is the built-in forgetter, and the built-in forgetter is something that is, is part of why this disease is 
progressive, fatal, permanent, progressive, and fatal. Let's take a look at it. When I was not quite two years old, and I don't remember this, I was told this 82 million times during my life, it was a Friday night, and I stuck my hand in a candle. My mother had burnt, was burning Sabbath candles, and I stuck my hand in the candle. And I, we lived in an apartment building. I screamed so loud that two of the neighbors knocked on the door to see if everything was okay, to see if someone was getting killed in there. Now, my little brain, it's still little, my little brain registered something that night. Hot equals bad. You know, I have never in my entire life deliberately stuck my hand in a candle since that day. Every time heat or burning was near, I avoided it, and I've only burned myself if it was accidental. Food savaged me, brutalized me, amputated me from anything that was good in life. It took my dreams and threw them in the trash. Every dream I could have dreamed as a child or as a young or old adult was smashed on the rocks by that food, and yet I returned to it again and again and again and again, unless I work the steps. Now, here's the saddest part. I will return to that food yet again if I don't work the steps because my brain will still obliterate the memory of, the, of what the food will do to me, and it will only let me focus in on what the food will do for me. And by working these steps and teaching it to others, I have been released from the desire to eat for over 20 years, and I have been released happily. And that's the miracle of it. And with that, I will pass. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Harlan. And next up, we have Nessa R. Good morning, Nessa. Hi, good morning. It's Nessa R., a recovered compulsive overeater in Toronto, Canada, and very happy to have Harlan here for a positive workshop um, this weekend. So um, what are we talking about here? It says here we have, we are without defense against the first drink. So we are abstinent. In this particular paragraph, I am abstinent. I have put my food down 100%. I'm entirely abstinent. But there's something that pushes me something that pushes me to get that first bite. And, you know, I, I cook a lot, and I'm a very fast cook. Um, you know, for me, every, every cooking uh, expedition is like a quick fire challenge and top chef. And so I get burned a lot, putting things in and, out of, and taking them out of the oven. And every time I get burned, I say, okay, next time I have to be more careful. I have to do things slower. I have to be more mindful. And yet, when it comes to the next time, I do it all over again. You know, my, my, my right arm is full of um, scars from getting burned on the elements in the oven. So what's at play here? You know, like my, my pain has no memory. You know, every time I cook, I think it's going to be different. I'm going to think better, and I'm not going to get burned. And I don't know what this happens to me when I cook, maybe because it's food-related, but it's the exact same thing with the food, right? 
you know, this time I'll be able to have just two cookies. This time I'm going to be more mindful. I'm going to be watching what I eat. I'm going to be vigilant. And yet it happens again. I start with two cookies and I end up eating two boxes. Um, so it explains to me why this happens um, at the end of that paragraph. It says there was a complete failure of the kind of defense that keeps one from putting his hand on a hot stove. And this is why it reminded me of my experience with cooking. So like, how do I get that defense? How do I get that defense that I don't keep doing the same thing over and over and over again? And, you know, page, page 84 tells me, um, if tempted, not when, if tempted, we recoil from it as if from a hot flame. So by page 84, it tells me I have already uh, achieved that defense. So how have I done that? How have I done that? What's the difference between page 84 and page 24? Uh, page 24, we are, we are still in step two, um, having just put the food down. Page 84, we are already working step 10. So what has happened is the steps. You know, the steps when work in entire abstinence address the issue of the mental obsession that Harlan described before, you know, and it gives me that defense. Uh, that defense does not come down, uh, that does not, I don't achieve that just simply by putting the food and not even by simply saying, okay, I believe that a higher power can restore me to sanity. I don't achieve that in step two. I achieve that in step 10, you know, and I think that uh, we gotta be cognizant of that and manage our expectations that putting the food down and saying, okay, God, I trust you, uh, is gonna do it for us. No, there's much work involved, you know. Uh, if I don't do the work, I don't achieve the results. God will transform me, but I will have to do the work. And that work is the steps in entire abstinence. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you so much, Nessa. We're on page 24, the second paragraph only. Um, the almost certain consequences of sharing is you might, you might even help someone. So who would like to share on what was read? Nancy P. Nancy. Carmela G. Carmela. Najia. Najia and Monica. Who do I have? Alana. Let me tell you who I have so far. I have, if I heard it right, I have Nancy P. Carmela, Najia, Monica, and Alana. Who did I miss? Okay. Well, why don't we start with uh, Nancy P. followed by uh, Lynn. I'll get you on the back end there. Okay, we'll start with Nancy P. followed by Carmela. Nancy, good morning. Nancy, press star one if you would. Hi, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you, Nancy. Thanks. Okay, okay, thanks. Sorry, I was just talking. Yeah, this hazy thing going on is... Um, you know, this fragile thing of willpower, not willpower, but success, I suppose, in um, achieving my goal of not eating compulsively was always, always, always crushed by the herd of horses that was my, um, that was my disease. And um, I was only able, you know, strange mental twist, whatever, mental blank spot, kink in my brain, all of it was always um, usurped 
by, you know, my this unovercomable urge. And, you know, as a, I'm data-driven. You know, the facts in my life, as others have said, were I learned from mistakes, I learned from success. I learned from others' mistakes, I learned from others' success. And this particular issue in my life was like being stared at by a cat. It just was impervious to reasoning. It was impervious to logic. It was impervious to pleading. It just, you know, if you've ever been stared at by a cat, you'll know what I mean. And the only key, the only way that I found out, the only way that I have found in over four decades in this program is surrender and working the steps. And um, that seems to be, I always come back to that. It's never anything other than that. What is the root of everything? It's surrender. And once I did, it wasn't that hard. All the rest of it wasn't that hard. It wasn't painless, but it wasn't difficult. It wasn't that difficult. And, um, you know, I had to be desperate to surrender, but I only had to be willing to do the work. And um, I was, and I did, and I'm recovered. And I can say that if anything that has ever happened to me, and I, in my opinion, quite a lot has happened to me since I surrendered, has been very... Um, manageable, you know, if, as long as I'm not depending on myself. And I have so far, knock on wood, not forgotten that, and I've done everything I can to shore it up on a daily basis. And, you know, God willing, I'll continue to, and life will continue in the wonderful trajectory that, it, that I've enjoyed since um, December 1st of 2017, and with that I'll pass. Thanks so much, Nancy. Okay, we have Carmela followed by Najia. Carmela, good morning. Good morning. This is Carmela G. from New York. Thank you so much, Larry, for your service, and thank you for everyone on the line and all the shares. Um, I was thinking about this as as I read it, and I was thinking, well, if you're halfway intelligent, you're not going to put your hand on a hot stove and get burned. Um, but the reality was, in disease, I, I, I felt I was super intelligent, so I could beat the system. You see, I had it. I had it under control, and I could handle it. But that was my diseased mind thinking. And the diseased mind caused me to have personality traits that made me appear very arrogant and sarcastic. And I can remember early on in my career, um, I went to a lecture on addiction, and my specialty was caring for women and children and um, mothers and babies and I went to this lecture by this doctor who was specializing in addiction in pregnant women. And I, at the right wonderful weight, I wasn't at my peak at that time, but I was the high 200s, sat in the first row and said, but doctor, I do not understand. If they love these babies, why can't they put those drugs down? 
and have a nice, healthy baby. And the doctor, I can see his face today, leaned into me and said, Nurse, because the drug owns them. Do you understand what it is to be owned? And I thought about it. And he said they can only think of when they're going to get their next fix. Well, when I was finally ready to allow clarity into my mind, I realized the food owned me. I couldn't make rational decisions. I knew every time I ate the way I ate, my body would ache so from the inflammation of the sugar. But I would say, oh, I have to. I have to numb out. That is what this did to me. And only by working the steps and living every day in this program and connecting to my higher power that I call God, that he allows me to be free of the physical pain and gives me the mental clarity to put one foot in front of the other and live life the way it should be lived, following his directions, no longer my arrogant will. Thank you for allowing me to share, and I pass. Thank you, Carmela. Okay, we have Najia followed by Harmonica. Hey, Najia, good morning. Good morning, Larry, and good morning to everyone. Thank you so much for your service. My name is Najia. I'm a recovered, grateful, compulsive overeater. So I'm looking into what we read this morning. Um, The desire to stop drinking is of absolutely no avail, but before that, he passes into a state where the most powerful desire to stop, the most powerful desire. I've been there. And I realized after working these steps over and over again, I've had many realizations and revelations. But the one thing I have realized and has been revealed to me is that when God formed me in my mother's womb, there was nothing formed within me to give me the power to stop compulsively overeating. I had to, what does it say in the um, AA 12 and 12? Under the lash of alcoholism, we are driven, that was me, to AA, and there we discover the fatal nature. It was in these rooms I discovered the fatal nature of my situation. I am deeply grateful that that God used Dr. Silkworth to reveal the truth to me. I have an obsession of the uh, mind and allergy to body. Thank you, God. There's no power, but there is. There's no power within me, but there is a power greater than me, greater than my desire, greater than my willfulness, greater than my self-will. There is a power. Oh, yes, there is. Because I've been, by the grace of that power, whom I choose to call God, 
have been abstinent 21 years by grace. I take no credit for this. And as I worked my way through the steps, I did begin to understand even more about the fatal nature of this situation. I'm grateful that I have conceded to my innermost self. And that came through me hitting a bottom. I'm so grateful for bottoms. I'm grateful for the gift of memory. Because I never want to be under the lash, not only of the sugar and the flour that God has delivered me from, but I don't want to be under the lash of my behaviors. And the only way that I get to do that is work these steps. To the newcomer that is out there, you keep coming. This program really, really works. I said, I didn't say 21 days, and that's a powerful abstinence. I didn't say 21 months. That's a powerful abstinence. That's a powerful gift. 21 years by his grace and by his mercy that I continue to find through working this program. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Najia. Okay, we have Monica followed by Alana. Good morning, Monica. Good morning, Larry. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica T, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Florida. I really got a dilemma here. I can't remember anything. I have an obsession of my mind. My mind is sick. The big book is really trying to hammer this home to me here. Even though we're in the chapter, there is a solution. We've been going through all these things here. What is my problem? What is wrong with you, Monica? Well, my mind is my problem, and that's the bigger aspect of my problem. And, you know, if I look back over my history, yeah, why is it I would keep picking up the food? You know, my mind would tell me it's okay. It would say it'd be different this time. But it never was. So this obsession of the mind, this obsession, this thought, This obsessive thought is so, so powerful. When it enters my brain, it is the only thought occupying my brain. I don't even know this. There's no room for any other thought to come in. It's just telling me I know how to make you feel better. It'll be different this time. And of course, I think it's just the best darn idea I've had in a long time. But this obsession, this fixation, this compulsion, you know, what's a compulsion? An irresistible impulse to act regardless of the sensibility. So even though I've got all this history, I, my mind is telling me it's okay. So there's two things going on here. My mind is telling me a lie that I believe every single time. It always wins. And the other thing is, I have no memory of the consequences or no memory of the resolutions I may have just made five minutes ago. I'm screwed here. I am totally powerless over this obsession of my mind. I can't think my way out of this. Nothing worked with this. Nobody else could help me with this. The only thing that's worked for me is working through these steps, connecting with a power greater than me who's been able, who's removed this crazy thinking from my brain on a daily basis. 
as long as I continue to work these steps every day. But there is, so there's hope. There is a solution here, people. But I have got to really understand that when it comes to my mind and my thinking, I am powerless 100%. It's going to win every single time. And it did. It did. And with that, I'm going to pass. Thanks, Monica. Okay, we have Alana followed by Lynn. <clears throat> Alana, it's your turn. Good morning. Good morning. Um, uh, my name's Alana M., and I'm a compulsive reader from Ottawa, Canada. Um, oh, I've loved the shares this morning. It's so um, It just brings this big book to life. Uh, the thing that I wanted to add... Um, the complete failure of this kind of defense. And, you know, uh, my mind will think um, the hard time for me is at night. And I feel like I become a different person after nine o'clock at night to the point that um, there's no reasoning that works at that time. Nothing that can, by that time, I can taste what I want. Like I can taste it. It's so powerful. And my mind is just going in overdrive. And I spent a long time in OA and I've been ter- like almost terrified of that part of me that comes out at night and there's two things that I've well three things uh, repeated relapses have taught me um, a significant amount of the things that work uh, even last night I went to bed early thinking I'll go to bed early that will help and then turned on the TV and as the TV was booting up I heard this voice say you know the TV is what takes you there every time turn the TV off you know so I did I turned the TV off as one thing the other thing is I put in earbuds. It's something about when I put in earbuds and listen to a podcast, somehow it puts me right to sleep. A podcast, a meditation, whatever it is, it really it seems to connect me. It feels like it's connecting me to my higher power to put those earbuds in, and it silences my mind. But the most powerful thing that has ever helped me with this complete failure that happens at night for me for all my life is the phone call to my sponsor in the morning. This is... I have ever had um, people, sponsors, work with you on a daily basis, you know, where call me in the morning. Come. I heard a speaker say, if you have suffered relapse, daily contact is what you need, you know. And somehow at night, even though I could taste the food, my phone call to my sponsor in the morning is the greatest deterrent because I'm like, how am I going to tell her? How am I going to tell her I did it again? And so that I'm so grateful for because it's only in OA that I've ever seen that level of commitment to the daily challenge, the daily forgetter, the, the, the thing I'm always going to forget. And that phone call has saved me more times than I can say. Anyway, thank you very much. That I'll pass. Thanks, Alana. Okay, stepping up to the podium. Hey, Lynn, good morning. Good morning, Larry. Good morning, Vision. My name is Lynn S., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater in Toronto, Canada. And I just wanted to say Toronto was vibrating in anticipation of our big book study this weekend. Uh, So recovery is a wonderful thing, I must say. This paragraph is really striking me right now because in my eight-year relapse, this wasn't my experience. Maybe the thoughts occur and they were hazy and readily supplanted. But you know what my thoughts were? I didn't care. I really, truly didn't care. I knew what it was like to be 140 pounds overweight. I knew what it was like to be classified morbidly obese. I lived like that for most of my life. I grew up being a fat kid. And all the horrors that I had then 
I knew what all that was like, but I had passed that. It's almost like when the food doesn't work for you anymore, but you're eating anyway, and that totally devastation. And that's how I felt. I knew. I knew if I ate, I couldn't stop. I knew I would most likely gain all the weight back, and you know what? I didn't care. And that was what was so I can't even say scary upon reflection now, yeah, but that it was just like I was dead. I just didn't care, get out of my way, give me the food. There was no idea that I could stop. I didn't know when I would ever stop and I didn't care. And I think I think you know, people often ask me, Well, how did you get out of that relapse? And I honestly don't know, except I knew I gave up. I knew I couldn't I had tried my darndest for eight years to get back to abstinence. I'd tried everything I knew. I'd received three medallions in that time for being stark raving abstinent for various periods of time, but absolutely no recovery. And thank you, God, I guess we can't pinpoint at what exact moment things turned around for us. I know I totally gave up and gave myself to God saying, I can't do it. I've tried. I know you're the only answer and I I can't do it. Um, Maybe that was it. I don't know. But it's just funny. I don't have that impending doom made any difference anymore. It just was. I am so grateful that whatever it was inside me, like I, I always believed there was that little bit of spark because I knew God was the answer and I knew the 12 steps was the answer. I just didn't know how to get there. Thank you, God. He lifted me up and out. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks so much, Lynn. Looks like we have time for maybe a couple more shares. We're on page 24, the second paragraph only. Who would like those uh, spots? Nadia B. Nadia? And Janice. Let's go with that. Nadia and Janice, (laughs) and we'll see where we're at. Hey, Nadia. Good morning. Good morning, Larry. Thank you for your service. Uh, Love, Nadia B. Gratefully recovered in Connecticut. I, um, you know, what what really strikes me today uh, in this paragraph is, you know, we've been really talking about the power of addiction and how powerful is this addictive thinking? Um, This addictive thinking is so powerful that it overrides my natural instinct for self-preservation. My thinking is not normal. There's something wrong with it. And if there's, if, if nothing steps in, um, you know, I will die. So without recovery, um, most true compulsive overeaters die. So I am um, doomed to die if I don't find power that is bigger than this addiction, than something that is stronger than this. Um, you know, my disease, we talked about facts and reasons yesterday. And the facts is that, um, you know, I don't care about the consequences at a certain point. I just do not care um, that, um, you know, the instinct of self-preservation fails me every time and I don't care. I don't remember any facts. I don't remember that, you know, If I pick that certain food, um, you know, I will not be able to act like a lady and eat with a knife and fork. And I will devour everything inside, you know, especially in the last days of of my eating. And, 
also, um, you know, that sick mind cannot help sick mind. Um, how many times I tried to do this on my own? And the facts didn't pop in my mind. Nadia, you've tried this before. You know, you need something else. Your mind is sick. Um, you know, and um, so I'm, I'm, I'm only left with reasons which, with which I get to eat. I, you know, because my childhood was so hard, because, you know, my life is so hard, I get to do this. And I forget what this does to me. And, you know, um, but thank God today, you know, this recovery process, someone taking my hand and, and bringing me through two facts, telling me, you know, helping me with being honest with myself, um, demystifying this disease um, with me, helped me to um, come to uh, be reasonable today and um, help me with my sick mind, with my sick thinking so I can live today. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks, Nadia. Janice, if we don't get the Red Sox moving here, they're not going to see the Cubs in the World Series. So we got to do something. Good morning, Janice. <laughs> Did you call on me? I heard about Red Sox. <laughs> I was is just it... talking. Oh. We got to get their act together. Hi, Janice. Hi, dear. Is it time? Do you want me to pass? And because I don't know. If no, no. Time. You got you got time. We want to oh, hear from I'm... you. Oh, all right. Okay. Yeah. Very quickly. Um. You know, this reminds me, uh, you know, how <laughs> this reminds me that years ago, decades ago, I got very, very sick on a combination of Kahlua and Chinese food. Well, let me tell you, decades have passed, and after that incident, I never, never had that combination because I remember what it did to me. I vomited, and I didn't like to vomit. I was so sick. But, see, that doesn't happen to me with certain foods. It didn't. Well, today, you know, uh, you know, my pain, my pain of that incident has a memory, so I never had it anymore. But the pain of certain foods, I, would, I don't have that. I don't have that. So it reminds me, I, you know, when they say no defense, well, it reminds me of this is a war. You know, this this illness, I'm, I'm always in, I was always in a war, struggling. So when, when the old timers, well, the old timers, the old Romans, they had an armor in the front of their body and on their head. Because when they went into war, that was their protection. Well, I can't wear one of those armors, but let me tell you, I have found through the 12 steps, I have that armor of protection. And like it was said, it's the power of the of my higher power and that's what protects me so every time you know things like you're going into war put that armor on and you and i am protected all the time from thy will be done and with that i'm going to pass larry hey thanks janice perfect timing okay well thank you to everyone for this meeting what a beautiful meeting and um please join us uh for a second uh, unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. Let me give you the share ID for today for the 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time meeting. That share ID is 
12,859. That's 12859. So now we are going to close with a reading from the big book. Andrea B. is going to read to us on page 164. Then we'll follow it with the serenity prayer. Andrea, good morning. Good morning, Larry. Thank you so much for your service, and good morning to everyone. If you'll give me just a moment, I'll open to the page. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who was still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely to what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the happy road of destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.